Hello and welcome to Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood, and I want to warmly welcome you to season three of the podcast. The purpose of this podcast is simple, to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post-workout late night meals. I'd like to thank my sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, Tennessee Pre, and Primate Apparel for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. And if you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. If you're like me and you want that focus boost in your training without the caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is the pre-workout for you. And I'll swear by this, we are humble, but we are savage. Primate Apparel's mentality of sticking to your guns and standing up to those who would do you ill is a vital part of my training. You can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. It is my pleasure to announce the beginning of season three. This afternoon, I have the privilege of sitting down with Dr. Stephanie Cohen, an animal pack and ghost strong athlete, holder of 25 all-time world records, and the co-owner of Hybrid Performance Method in Miami, whose remarkable story began with growing up in Venezuela as a member of the national soccer team to becoming the first woman in history to deadlift over four times her body weight. As Cohen is undoubtedly one of the strongest women alive and one of the greatest inspirations in the fitness industry today, I thought it was only fitting to open season three with her story. So please sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Steffi, how are you doing today? Good, man. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's a, the honor is all mine. I've been hoping to have this conversation for a long time, and I'm, I'm glad this has finally come into fruition, even in the midst of a little bit of a chaotic time for the world. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad we were able to make it work. It's actually perfect timing because since we're all quarantined, there's not much more to do. So this is actually exactly. quite entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that was my logic, actually, exactly that I when I first launched the podcast, um, it was just kind of me randomly talking and hoping something good would come out. And once quarantine started and I was finishing up college, I was like, man, like, why don't I just start reaching out to people? Because I know nobody else is doing anything else. Most of us can't be training as we usually are anyway. And it ended up being a good decision. So I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Well, so you have really garnered quite a following over the last few years. Um, I remember when I first started with hybrid was really when you guys just launched, um, in 2017, uh, about a year after you guys created it. And I remember people were still kind of picking up on who you guys were, uh, you guys were able to really interact with everyone. And over the last few years, I mean, the whole industry has just blown up. Uh, and so I wonder, even before diving into your story, what has it been like for you in seeing your following, uh, the engagement of all these athletes on y'all's online programming. What has that felt like for you just watching yourself really explode? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I quite honestly, I never imagined that the business at hybrid would grow to the size that it is now. When we first started, we, I remember we, we were wanting to test out the software that we were creating. So we went all in, you know, we wanted to create something that allowed us to uh, scale coaching so we created our software hey can you grab Dexter we created our software and uh, in order to test it we put out on Instagram hey can we um 
can we get 15, 20 people to beta test our program and, you know, for free? And we ended up having about four or 500 people wanting to test out the software. So honestly, we, I, I never expected it to grow to the size that it did, but I'm, I'm obviously uh, so grateful that I'm, I'm in this position because I'm honestly doing exactly what I, what I've always wanted to do, which is to help people get fitter, stronger, to be able to have, you know, the lifestyle that I have, which is tons of time for training, for traveling, freedom of time and place. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's been absolutely unexpected and, and, uh, just the best thing that's ever happened to me. Yeah. Well, it's, I think that concept you guys created of, you know, you know, you're paying 30 bucks a month for most people. I mean, online coaching, we know is not a cheap thing. And so to be able to be that accessible, I think probably played a lot into that success because everyone's like, well, I can pay 30 bucks a month and I've access Mm -hmm. to 15 programs, you know, five different coaches, you know, and, and clearly it was a model that came into fruition because at this point you guys know thousands of athletes, you know, as, as a part of the hybrid team as a whole. And I, I think that's just remarkable. Yeah, we were, we wanted to take kind of the opposite approach of what most people were doing, which was, it's almost like a nickel and diming thing where you're charging people for your, for a signed t-shirt, you're signing people for a PDF, you're, you're, char- sorry, you're charging people for you know, all these added extra features, whereas what we wanted to do was we wanted to always over deliver. So give a ton of stuff out for free, free samples, free week samples, free months, um, you know, including all the programs under one membership, kind of like an online virtual gym. So that was the that was our approach. We wanted to have a low price point to attract as many people as possible and always provide as much value as as we could. Yeah, and it's worked clearly. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely kudos for that. But your so I mean your story though didn't start with launching a huge fitness industry and becoming one of the strongest women in the world. Uh, it it started in Venezuela. So mm-hmm. I wonder even just briefly. Um, I know you know when you were seventeen, you you traveled to the U.S. You ended up in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Um, just what that journey was like for you, um, even as you made what some people would view as an unimaginable move. Uh, from Venezuela to the U.S., what was the dream there? What was the the desire in that move? So, at that time, I was playing soccer for the national for the national team in Venezuela, and you know it was picking up. So we were the first female national soccer team to be put together, and it was it was exciting times. You know, there were, we were gaining popularity. We were we were having uh, like. They upped our stipend from the government. We were traveling a ton. We were, you know, our coach was awesome. And it was looking good. Obviously, by comparison to, you know, how, how people, how you would get treated if you were a professional athlete here in the States, it, it, there's there's no comparison. You know, we were, anytime we would travel, it would be like 17 girls in one room and bunker beds, people sleeping on the floors, traveling on these tiny buses, sitting on the floors of the bus. You know, it was not glamorous at all. But it was, to me, it, it, it didn't matter, right? It didn't matter. The conditions didn't matter. What matters is that I was so passionate about soccer and I was, I was doing what I loved. My dream was to become a professional athlete and I was doing it independently of how much I was getting paid or what the conditions were. So, right. you know, at that time, there was a lot of political unrest in Venezuela. There was lots of violence. Caracas was ranked the fourth most dangerous city in the world. 
lots of anti-Semitism. I'm Jewish, so lots of anti-Semitism. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had this thing called express kidnapping where, you know, the robbers essentially would do a, like a full background check on where you are at every time of the day, how much money you have in the bank, et cetera. And then, and then they would do kind of like a, a calculated kidnap. And I mean, this is just, you know, some of the things that would, that, that were happening. That's not to mention just the economic collapse, um, all the protests on the street, et cetera. It was just not a good time to be in Venezuela. And that was just the beginning of it. Like that's not even how bad it, it, it got throughout the years. So my mom kind of saw what was happening and, and, and was more of a, a realist. You know, she, it's not that she's a pessimist, but she was being realistic with, with what the situation was in the country and what the direction and the direction that it was going. So she, she pretty much, I say, forced me because she filled out my, my college applications. Obviously, right. <laughs> obviously, it's for my own good, right? I just, I was so stubborn. I was young. I just wanted to stay at home with my friends and, and play soccer, mm-hmm. right? Like, that's all I cared about. But uh, anyway, she uh, ended up helping me to get a scholarship in, in uh, the States. I got into San Diego State University with a full ride and um, moved there. I remember... My mom tells this story a little bit different than I do, but I'll tell you her story because it's funnier. So <laughs> we were we were on, in the shuttle at the airport in Miami, and I'm just crying, screaming hysterically, you did this to me, it's all your fault. And everyone around us thought that she was like, I don't know, stealing me from my dad or I don't know, tra- right. human, tra- human trafficking me, you know? <laughs> um but um, yeah, I ended up moving to San Diego kind of against my will. Ended up being the best decision I could have ever made because I was ahead. A lot of my friends didn't move to the States until a few years, years later. And, you know, I, I was happy that I had that I that I did what I did because it just made I had kind of like a, a head start on, on everyone else. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was. A huge, huge culture shock moving from a place where I was extremely sheltered because that's just the, the life you have to live just for your own safety, um, where, you know, every move is measured. You know, you, your mom knows where you are at, at every second of the day. You have like bodyguards, you have armed cars, you know, you have a driver, you have whatever, you know, and going to full freedom quote-unquote freedom right where I was in charge of making my own decisions and it was a lot it was a lot for a 17 year old that just I didn't know my way around the world at all because I had been so sheltered so just a lot a lot to deal with you know eventually playing soccer you know playing soccer kind of fell through the cracks because I was trying to find my place you know I, I, I went from being the MVP in the national soccer league in Venezuela everyone knowing who I was who my name was to being absolutely nobody here in the states and having to kind of prove myself from the from zero again yeah well and and I wonder how much that that drive of knowing that you came from really being somebody to just being one of the 360 million people in the U.S. (laughs) um, how much did that drive to be like hey okay I had something I've got something to prove now you know, of I've come from another country. I kind of came here against the will screaming on the bus because my mom, you know, just knew this was the right decision, but I didn't want to do it. How much did that passion then, you know, really blossom? Because, I mean, you went soccer to Olympic weightlifting, CrossFit, mm-hmm. uh, into powerlifting. 
then yeah. I wonder where was that spark for you in, in really fueling that fire? Yeah. So I, my whole identity was being an athlete and I definitely wasn't ready to let that go. I was 19 or 20 when I stopped playing soccer and wasn't ready to give up that part of my life. So that started kind of a discovery phase in my life where I was just trying to trying to look for what the next thing was going to be. You know, I didn't know what sport exactly I wanted to do. All I knew was that I, I still had a dream to become a professional athlete and I was going to do everything in my power to accomplish that. So that's where kind of the jumping from sport to sport came from. You know, I did half marathons. I took some kickboxing classes, bought a skateboard, um, bought a bike to try to do triathlons, then eventually landed in CrossFit, switched to weightlifting landed in powerlifting so that was like a four a four-year discovery process or time frame where I was just kind of jumping from sport to sport to see what to see to see where my my skills talents and passions aligned so what are my aptitudes you know what what am I what am I born to be good at you know am I I'm fast or I'm agile coordinated what what are some things that I could get better at if I work really hard and then do I like those things so that's kind of how I landed in powerlifting. Um, but, and to be honest with you, powerlifting wasn't wasn't even something that I fully enjoyed doing. By comparison with all the other sports that I've done, it's pretty monotonous and boring. But I right. but I like winning. So that's mm-hmm. I like winning, and I like the um, I don't know. I guess the the social appreciation or the admiration that comes from achieving something that no one else has done. So yeah. that kind of balanced things out for me. But yeah, absolutely. Like to answer your question, um, you know, I, I re- clearly remember being 14, 15 and thinking to myself, I want everyone to know. I want people, I want that when I walk into a soccer field, I want people to be afraid. I want girls to be like, oh mm-hmm. shit. You know, that's, that's number eight, the midfield, that's Steffi Cohen. You know, <laughs> we're up for like a good fight kind of thing. I wanted everyone to mm-hmm. know who I was and what my name was. So. It, absolutely. I, I feel like I took a similar approach in every sport that I started trying. I went head first. You know, if I do was doing half marathons, I'm like, OK, I'm going to be the best runner in this in the world. Everyone's going to know who I am. Same thing for powerlifting. You know, when I, I remember going to my first meet, that's something that I always kind of kept in the back of my head. You know, everyone's going to know who Steffi Cohen is. Mm hmm. Well, and of course, as you would know more than a lot of people, there's so much failure that then takes place in that pursuit of greatness. It's not a, strength isn't a linear regression. Um, and, and I had written down this quote that you said, I used to think that unless you win, you lose. But I've learned that the journey is the reward, even when things don't go as planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wonder off of that quote, where have you really seen those moments that initially may have seemed like, man, shit, like I really failed. Like I really, I really screwed up. But then looking back and being like, man, that was such a defining moment for me in becoming one of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know what? I, I guess either I've blocked it out of my mind or I don't know, but I, I just, I, I never, I don't think I've ever failed. Even if I don't win, there's a quote that says you either learn or you win. Mm-hmm. so for me I don't know there's just there's no such thing as as failure have I done 
less than optimally at a competition? You know, have I come short of my goals? Absolutely. But do I consider that a failure? Not necessarily. Even if I've, you know, if I've quit a sport because I come, came short and I was honest with myself that I w was never going to have what it took to be the best. I don't even consider that a failure because it's just kind of a, a stepping stone. It's a, uh, it becomes all about perspective, how you, how you view failure, whether it's something negative or it's something that is just kind of part of your journey and your process. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. And I love that because I think it's true that you can so easily get caught up in when things don't go your way. Right. And I think a lot of people do, especially now, you know, more than ever when we're all kind of stuck in our homes or limited to these little radius of wearing masks outside that people can, can view this as being, Hey, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. This is awful. Or you can reframe it and say, man, this is going to be the most productive mm -hmm. two months of my life. This is going to be the most athletic I've ever been. This is going to be my opportunity to learn something. But it is. It's that restructuring. It's that reframing. Mm -hmm. um, and the other half of the quote that I didn't read that you said immediately before that was that failure doesn't define me. Mm -hmm. I chose to embrace all the things that feel threatening, mm -hmm. challenge, struggle, criticism, and setback. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the, that's the change, that you can either just fall over and, and take it or you can say, you know what, this is a chance to learn. And this isn't a failure. This is a step in the right direction. Exactly. And I think it's a remarkable perspective to have. Exactly. You you know, I was talking to Eddie Hall recently. We, we filmed the video together. And I was asking him mm -hmm. about his mindset and how kind of, how does he feel when, when something doesn't go his way or when he, you know, misses a lift that was a defining lift for to get gain a title or something like that or, or misses a world record. And he told me that he had worked with a sports psychologist and his sports psychologist reframed that way of thinking into, you know, what if I told you your, your five failures away from setting a new world record or 20 mm. failures away from, from being the world's strongest man? Like, how would that, how would that change the way that you approach your training? You know, you could be defeatist and, you know, think that you're never going to accomplish your goal or you can be like all right you know that's cool that's cool that's just it this just means that that's one failure less that I'm gonna have to endure you know it's behind me it's behind me and maybe I have five more ten more a hundred more but I'm gonna continue trucking along you know yeah oh that's such an important you know thing to hold on to especially you know I think we live in a society right now of instant gratification where people are just used to positive affirmation all the time. They're used to getting what they want. Uh, they're used to viewing things in seven second, 15 second clips. Mm -hmm. um, and when stuff isn't immediately given to them, they don't succeed all the time. They just give up mm -hmm. because they're so used to this constant reminder that they're incredible. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, reframing that, I was just saying, man, a lot of stuff happened before you were born and a whole lot of stuff's going to happen after you die. Mm -hmm. You know, but being like, hey, this is, we've got 80 years on this earth, we've got 90 years on this earth, what are we going to do to really make a difference? And I think that's such an important way to reframe that. Yeah, but people don't have that, that sense of urgency. You know, you think you're invincible, yeah. you think you're timeless and your days are counted. You know, I, I just don't know I don't know why, if it's like genetic or biological, I don't know, maybe some people just are not born with, with grit or don't think about it or choose not to think about their own mortality and their, and their, their time on this earth, you know, but yeah, but it's, uh, it's definitely, it's something we gotta, be, we gotta be thinking about, especially in powerlifting that, you know, and, and I, I do every time it's mostly 
squat out of the three. But there's a split second where I'm like, hey, you know what? This could kill me. But you know what? We're just going to do it anyway. <laughs> we're going to have a good time doing it. If I'm going to die, we're going to go out with a bang. Um, no, no pun intended if something does pop. But, um, well, you know, you've created, you know, an incredible business model with hybrid. But obviously, this isn't the end. This is the beginning for it. Uh, I know you guys were planning on, on initiating this, uh, this Kratos Strength Expo. Uh, mm-hmm. And with... Everything's kind of happened in the last few months. I know it's been postponed to um, fall 2021. Correct. What are your dreams for for hybrid and for the future of the expo uh, and next steps? Mm-hmm. Um, so the expo is doesn't have anything to do necessarily with our current business. It's just kind of a, a passion project. It's it's my personal way to give back to this amazing community that I'm so mm-hmm. lucky to be a part of. Uh, you know, for the past few years, I, on paper, I'm considered a professional athlete since I get paid to compete, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like a professional athlete. I feel like I'm part of this, like, funky, like, I don't know, just like this hobby, right? That's how people, right. that's how I feel right. when I'm competing in the back of a gym, right? I don't feel like as a professional athlete, I get the the attention or the treatment at competitions that that I should be getting and I and and not only about me but there's so many other talented gifted athletes that literally pour their their lives and their hearts into this sport to to achieve their goals and are so incredible are doing things that we thought were humanly impossible and are performing these incredible feats of strength and are getting zero recognition for it and even forget about the recognition and the fame it's like at least have a place to go do it that that makes you feel like like the athlete that you are, right? So, mm-hmm. I can't control whether or not ESPN wants to close a deal with with us. I I'm not I don't have that kind of power yet, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, but I do have control over the events that I put out and how it makes people mm-hmm. feel. So I mean, even selfishly, I want to put up an event that that excites me to compete in where. We have an opening ceremony. We have a, uh, uh, what do you call that when, when fighters have like that press press review? Oh, I know. I can't think of it off the top of my head. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. though. I can picture. So, so you sit. All of the lifters sit down, and you have like multiple media, uh, media companies or media outlets, and everyone, and you get asked questions about who you're gonna be, you know, and people start talking smack. Like for sure, mm-hmm. a press release, an opening ceremony, a national anthem, um, everyone wearing the same uniforms that are sponsored by a big company, Noble, Virus, Nike, I don't know, uh, professional stages, race stages with lights and microphones and, and international judging and just the best of the best, you know, a, a proper warm up mm-hmm. area, uh, a proper vendor area with, with, with brands that have supported powerlifting and iron sports for the last few years that are relevant and et cetera, right? I just want to be able to provide an experience for lifters that that is in line with the with the level of involvement or the with the amount of time that they spend getting better at the sport. And then even for spectators, because that's another uh, area of weakness that I've identified in other competitions. It's like it's boring to watch a powerlifting meet. Like I, when my, it's rough. When my family, <laughs> when my family comes 
watch me at competitions, I honestly feel bad. So how can we make these events fun and engaging for them as well? You know, there needs to be stuff going on. There needs to be stuff to drink. There needs to be music. There needs to be, I don't know, maybe, maybe some speakers, you know? So how can we make it engaging for, for spectators, for fans, for vendors, a good experience for vendors as well, a good bag for their buck, and then for athletes. So that's kind of the goal for Create Us. Uh, and it's purely a passion project. You know, I, I'm, I don't even know. Uh, I hope we can make money back, but it's, it's a really expensive undertaking. But I feel like I, mm -hmm. I owe it to the, to the community. And I'm happy to do it. So. Yeah. Well, and, and I, it's funny you mentioned that, you know, that just being so boring for, for spectators, because I remember my first uh, powerlifting meet, uh, I invited, you know, different family members to come. I was like, oh, this will be so much fun. Like, they'll see me lift. We'll be in and out. <laughs> Little did I know, I, I was entering, it was a USAPL meet. So I was going in, weighing in at, you know, 630 in the morning, and I was going to be there until 430. And, you know, at the end of the day, I was like, oh, man, like, they just came to a nine-hour-long event <laughs> to see me lift for a total of nine minutes. <laughs> like, and that was it. And and so, yeah, creating something that's a little bit more engaging than 10 minutes of action. Exactly. You know, is definitely definitely something that's needed, I think, even on the lifter side. Because it is, I mean, those days are just so draining. So um, long. And it's 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 awful. <laughs> um, I had the, the privilege of being a part of a – a smaller federation called 365 Strong uh, that Bill Gillespie is a part of. And the nice thing with those small feds is, you know, you've only got 12, 15 people competing. Mm -hmm. So in that instance, you're in and out by noon, but it's still, you know, it's just, it's a drag. And so that it would be just a revolutionizing thing for the industry for people to actually enjoy going to powerlifting meets instead of almost feeling like, like I need to bribe people <laughs> to watch me lift, <laughs> you know, instead of, you know, them actually wanting to be there. But absolutely. Um, well, so you mentioned, you know, there at the beginning, um, you know, that in, in Venezuela that, that you were Jewish. And so something that I, I really want to make a point of asking everyone, um, considering this is faith and fitness, um, is what has been the importance or role, if any, of your own personal faith, you know, in your training, in your passion, um, and even your desire to give back to the community? Um, I'm not really that religious, but... sure. Uh, something that's really important for me is tradition, especially mm -hmm. being Jewish and having grandparents that are uh, Holocaust survivors. Mm -hmm. Grandparents, sorry. Did I say parents? I meant grandparents. They're Holocaust survivors. So mm -hmm. keeping up with traditions and kind of honoring my roots has been important. And obviously, you know, there's, there's so many good lessons, so many lessons that I've learned from being in a Jewish school and, and um, exploring religion a little bit just makes you a better person, right? Like trying to make people around you, mm -hmm. try to make people around you feel better, you know, do random acts of kindness, um, donate, respect your parents, respect your significant other, have integrity. You know, I think all of those values and morals are things that I've learned from growing up in a, in a family that values uh, tradition and the values just being a good person um so okay. that that at least is what i what i what i've taken with me yeah and, and i think those are all really important lessons I, I i told um i was talking with logan chapman and 
remember I, I, I told him, I was like, hey, man, like, there's no pressure on this answer. And he kind of gave a very similar answer. Um, and and I, I told him the same thing. I said, hey, like, ultimately what matters is that we're giving back to the community. You know, we're making the world a better place, you know, and, and those lessons of integrity and respecting the others and everything. It's something that's just missing. Yeah. You know, I think it's just the basic human beyond religion. But it's just it's basic human decency. And I think it's something even a powerlifting industry just to have those innate values that you're willing to, to give back is imperative because you see a lot of people who are who aren't necessarily reflecting those integral values on a regular basis. A hundred percent. I um, It sounds cliche, but I always I always think to myself, people are not going to remember your name. They're going to remember how you make them feel. And it yeah. does sound cliche and so cheesy, but. Honestly, it's true. You know, like look at people in the eyes when you talk to them. If there's there's a homeless person that wants to talk to you, don't just like pretend like it, he's not there. You know, open your your yeah. if it's safe, obviously, but open your your door and talk to him or say hello. You know, I don't know, just just be a good person. You know, as much as you yeah. can. Well, so switching topics a little bit, a little bit more to um, the practical side uh, for, you know, a lot of people who may be listening to this, maybe intro lifters, some advanced. Um, when you look at, um, you know, training for beginners uh, and training for uh, elite lifters, what would you say are the biggest differences? And, and I guess a better way to phrase that is what would you say are, are your recommendations you know, as those core principles for beginner lifters versus those who may have been competing for years and really have achieved those elite totals. Yeah. So let's start with the beginner lifters. Um, I think one of the main mistakes people make is they, you know, obviously a lot of people have their role model lifters that they want to emulate or be like or lift like, and they get so stuck on what they're currently doing that they forget the kind of the bottom of the iceberg, right? Like their roots and the, the, the right. infinite amount of years and hours of preparation that led them to be in the position that they're in. So for beginners is, you know, they shouldn't, they should fight really hard to not get caught in the highlight reel of elite lifters and take a step back and understand that they need to build a solid foundation, even in a hyper-specialized sport like powerlifting. So yeah, I do realize that there's specific adaptations to impose demands, right? Like if you want to get better at squat bench deadlift, you have to squat bench deadlift. And I'm not denying that. I'm, I absolutely agree with that. You, can, you can't fight that. But, right. but in order for you to even consider pushing the squat, the bench, and the deadlift, you, need, you absolutely have to build a foundation that encompasses more than strength. And that's part of what being hybrid means. You know, a hybrid athlete is someone who is athletic, who can move in different directions, who can jump, who can sprint, who can play sports and pick up sports, who has the mobility to move like a normal human. You know, I'm not saying you need to be a contortionist and have like an absurd amount of mobility, but, you know, move, look like a human. If you lift your arms up, they should go all the way up, you know. Um, right. And be strong. You know, have a certain level of strength. The strength should always be the backbone, but and have cardiovascular health. Just don't neglect the other aspects of human performance, especially when you're a beginner lifter. Um, mm-hmm. And you, you know, you you can. It's just a matter of rethinking the way that you program, either for yourself or if you have a coach. Just like making sure that you're incorporating uh, other aspects of 
performance into your into your yearly cycle and that you take you take yeah. things slow and that you build up your base of general athleticism before you before you specialize because we do know based on research that over specializing when you're younger at least when it comes to the development of children over specializing when you're when you're a kid in one particular sport leads to uh, you not developing the way that you should athletically. You're you're neglecting cer certain areas of of athleticism at the expense of specializing in one particular sport. So, but you know, adults are not exempt to that rule. You know, you you if you if your goal is to squat three times body weight or deadlift four times body weight. You have to start with a really wide and broad base of general athleticism mm -hmm. that allows you to be able to prepare your body to withstand the loads that you're about to put on your body. So that's for the for beginners. And then for advanced lifters, you know, the reality that what you did last year is likely not going to work the following year. And being okay, yeah. being okay with being malleable and flexible in your approach, um, and understanding that, honestly, like training is a complex algorithm. The more years that you accumulate under your belt of training, the more difficult it becomes to figure out what the minimum effective dose for you is. And what I mean by that is, it comes to a point where you're gonna have to be very careful with with which exercises you choose how frequently you do those exercises, what the intensity is, and what the uh, level of progression is from week to week, month to month, and block to block. Because you're, 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 you're flying close to the sun. If you fly close to the sun, you're gonna burn some feathers. So at that point, it becomes more of a matter of how well can you manage fatigue and how much can you drive adaptability of your body you know, without getting hurt. Which, which is a completely yeah. kind of different mindset, right? Than when you're a beginner and you're just trying to do, do, do as much as you can to build a broad base to, you know, prepare your body. But once you're at the top, then it's, it's, it's completely different. Like you have, it's kind of like dodging bullets every time. Like you're under the bar, you're going for a three rep max. And, and like you said, you're like, I have no idea how this is going to end. I just hope it's going to end well kind of thing. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I hope that answered your question. Well, yeah, no, I mean, and answer it really well because I mean, there is there's a level, and I'm by no means an elite lifter, but even in recognizing um, other other lifters and athletes, of you do it's a smarter game. You know, when you when you start out, you're just you're doing everything. You're you see it's those people I, I think of when I very first started lifted. Uh, it was with CrossFit, you know, back in high school, uh, which I feel like it's the same for a lot of people. And you're just doing movements and you're noticing a little bit of strength gains and you feel great about it. But once you start messing around with five, six, seven, eight hundred pounds, you, there isn't that that maneuver. You know, the, the variable area for change is so much smaller mm -hmm. because if you shift a little bit with 200 pounds, you know, it's, it may not be as big of an issue as if you shift with 800 pounds on your for back. Sure. And that's going to be the difference between you ripping your quad off, <laughs> you know. Um. Well, so kind of piggybacking off of that, um, I know you've kind of battled with a back injury uh, and recovering off of that. From your standpoint as an elite lifter, what has been, you know, uh, the obvious answer, of course, is rest. But on, with that, of recovering from injuries quickly so that you can get back into the game. So I would be careful on how I even interpret the word rest 
in this in this mm -hmm. uh, scenario because you know motion is lotion and and mm -hmm. moving and finding finding different movements and exercises that you can do while you're hurt is is as important as as taking your foot off the gas in a certain way mm -hmm. so you know there's a the approach that i take with injuries is like I'll, i'll i'll take you step by step more or less on how i do it but obviously initially when you encounter an injury stop it you you, you have to stop doing the things that make it worse or that are that increasing mm -hmm. your pain for a short period of time you know um once that kind of initial acute phase is gone then you have to start reintroducing movements that are not perceived as threatening by your body so i'll just i'll just follow the example of of back pain so usually when people have back pain usually they have pain bending forward that's just kind of like the traditional thing uh mm -hmm. so if bending forward's bugging you then you can try you can try staying neutral doing bird dogs dead bugs planks just any movement that doesn't that doesn't exacerbate your pain and then after you pass that then you you got to start reintroducing the movement that was once hurtful so if if it's bending forward if it's flexion maybe you start by doing mini crunches maybe or reverse crunches maybe you start by doing really light jefferson curls or or uh, deadlifts with a slightly rounded back with no weights or with dumbbells uh, and kind of start habituating um, habituating your body and, and, your, and your brain back to being able to do the movements that you were perceiving as, as threatening. Because I think the most common misconception with injuries is that pain, people are so hyper aware of pain and hypersensitive of pain and they don't truly understand what the purpose of it is and what it means. So We tend to think that pain is uh, kind of a direct correlation with tissue damage and that implies that there's something that needs fixing or that there's something that's wrong with you. Um, and in a lot of cases, obviously, there's cases where, like you said, you know, if you, you pop your quad and you bruise, obviously, there's, there's very clear tissue damage there. But talking more about kind of chronic pain or, or pain that persists for longer periods of time, you know, the fact that you're still experiencing pain doesn't really imply that there's that there's that there's damage so i think understanding mm -hmm. what pain means and and how you can use it to inform your decision making uh in training is super important we call that in physical therapy the biopsychosocial model of pain uh and you know we could we could get into this for for a whole hour but you know basically More recently, we're moving away from the biomechanic or mechanical model, which was, like I said, it's okay, let's try to identify what the failing structure is. You know, if you hurt your back, it's probably because you have a weak glute, glute med or your, your, erect, your, your multifidus isn't stabilizing. You need to activate your transverse abdominus. But if we're being honest with ourselves and just based on research, we, there's no way that we can... Uh, that we can say with 100% accuracy and clarity what the failing structure is or whether there's a failing structure or or whether you targeting that particular structure is going to lead to an improvement in in function there's just no way people a lot of therapists play this game of the Sherlock Holmes game you know where they're just like putting their mm -hmm. Sherlock Holmes hat and they're like trying to tell you exactly what's wrong And for anyone who's listening, if you ever go to a therapist's office who 
tells you exactly what's wrong that needs fixing, run the opposite direction. That's a huge red flag that this guy knows nothing about what he's talking about. Because there's no way, there's no way that you can identify that there's something wrong. And there's no way that you can know if that structure is contributing to the pain. So, you know, the guidelines are usually the same. It's the, the, those three steps, three steps that I, that I went through is stay off your pain for until the pain starts subsiding a little bit, keep moving, you know, bed rest is not recommended for any injury. You know, even when you have total hip replacements, the, the first thing you do, you get out of surgery. And I think it's like an hour later, you're standing up and walking around. So, you know, finding ways to move and moving every day and then habituating, finding ways to get back to your, your previous level of function and do the, do the things that bring meaning to your life and not be a, and, and avoid being afraid of the pain and avoid catastrophizing what you're feeling. Just use pain for, for, to, to guide your decisions when it comes to training and don't interpret that pain as, oh my God, like I'm, you know, I'm broken. I need fixing. My, my spine is unstable. You know, I need to, I need to build my stability before I put a bar on my back. You know, there's, there's no, no such thing. The only way that we can continuously get stronger, continuous and come back from injuries is putting our, putting a load back on our bodies. That's how stress mm -hmm. builds strength, load builds stress. So you just have to, you know, continue put you know put pain aside and just continue fighting forward intelligently yeah that's good well so just a couple brief questions for you here because we wrap up um the third word of course in the podcast is french toast and so i chatted with trevor jaffe last week uh to ask him you're the second person i'm asking i'm making a point of doing this with season three if there was one breakfast food that you could eat for the rest of your life and that was going to be it, mm -hmm. what would it be? Uh, for sure, Venezuelan arepas. So arepas, for anyone who's American here who doesn't know, it's uh, kind of like this corn dough that you mix with water. And then uh, you, you can either bake it or put it on the grill or just put it on the pan. And it ends up being really crispy on the outside and soft and, and like doughy on the inside. And then you can put turkey breast and cheese or chicken or, or uh, shredded beef inside. And it's amazing. So yeah, I would absolutely just have arepas every day. Man, it's hard to hear you say that during lunchtime. I'm going to have to go out and go <laughs> get something to eat after this. <laughs> um, but that's a, that's a good answer. His was uh, chocolate chip pancakes. So he, he definitely went for the American <laughs> option there. Um, well, so kind of the last thing I got for you, uh, I wrote down one more quote. Um, that you said, when my eulogy is eventually given, I expect people to say that I live my life with passion and that I dream deeply and I'll keep living every day to fulfill that wish. Um, I wonder just off of that, you know, with your own closing thoughts, especially in the midst of a time where people are starting to see that stuff's starting to reopen and that there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel here, you know, in the midst of COVID, um, just what your words would be to people, you know, jumping back into training and, you know, looking ahead to the future. Yeah, you know, one thing that I could that I would love to recommend to everyone who's listening is David Goggins book Can't Hurt Me. So when the quarantine first started, I'll be the first to admit that I was I was pretty scared. I was terrified of how that was going to impact my business, my personal relationships, my training. And um, 
you know, initially I, I was almost like depressed. I don't know. I was just kind of, I slowed mm-hmm. down a lot. I was waking up later, going to sleep late and being a little bit lazier than I usually am. And I needed kind of something to, to kick me back into gear. So I started reading David Goggins book and honestly, it was a beautiful awakening for me. Um, you know, his story is all about all of the situations that he's put himself in, the difficult situations, both physically and mentally that he's put himself in for the sole purpose of building his mental and physical strength to just kind of build himself up, build himself as a stronger human being. And throughout the book, he gives you, I think it's 10 challenges that he that, that he wants you to do and explains explains to you why you're doing them. And they're just amazing. You know, it's, it starts with an accountability mirror where you grab a bunch of post-its and write on them all the things that you don't like about yourself that you want to change. And they just sit on your mirror and you have to look at them every day. And, you know, you either live with that or you, you, you make a change. I think the second one is do something that you hate every day. So I started, I hate w- waking up early. So I started waking up early at 7 a.m. and going for a run or staying, staying longer in my sauna or just doing things that I, that I normally avoid just for the sake of avoiding being uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, it just, it doing all those little things really proves to you that you're a lot stronger than you think you are. So I don't know. I think that's, that would be my recommendation for, for people read this book and, and start doing things that take you out of your comfort zone so you can, callous your mind build more mental mental strength and you can tackle anything that life throws at you yeah that's good advice well folks you heard it here first this has been an interview with dr stephanie cohen uh, of hybrid performance method um if you want to get onto team hybrid you can head over to hybridperformancemethod.com um, get access to any of their programs uh, and reach out to them about coaching uh, they also have hybrid nutrition uh, as well, if you're looking uh, to get rid of some of those quarantine pounds uh, right at the end of this, uh, you can reach out to any of them. I'm sure they would love to help. But folks, we will catch you next time. Hey, y'all, if you loved that episode and you're craving a little bit more, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Spotify at Faith Fitness and French Toast or visit us at anchor.fm forward slash Moses Allwood for full interviews, trailers, and more for the upcoming season. We've got an action-packed list of guests lined up for the coming months, so don't forget to turn on your post notifications on Instagram and stay connected on your platform of choice to be the first to hear of new guests and early episode releases. And with that, thanks as always for listening. I'm Moses Allwood. I'll see you next week.